Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke, side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So reads God's word. There's a lady uh, who lived about 70 years ago called Corrie ten Boom, or, or to those of us who are, uh, have no Dutch blood whatsoever, Corrie ten Boom. But actually it's Boom, which means tree. But anyhow, she was, she was a lady who lived in Harlem, which is a, a city north of Amsterdam in Holland, and, and, and her family hid Jews during the Second World War. Uh, she was eventually sent to a concentration camp after her family was betrayed, and due to a clerical error, Corrie was released from prison sometime after her sister had died in the concentration camp. So this is a woman who understood worry. She understood the reason for worry. She understood that worry was understandable. And this is what she had to say about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. There's a man called Timothy Lane who wrote a book called Living Without Worry, um, which is a, a book I'd highly recommend uh, to anyone. Uh, Living Without Worry by Timothy Lane. It's, it's about yay big, which is to say not much. It's, it's an afternoon read and very helpful, very biblical. He says that worry is to be over-concerned about something other than the kingdom of God. It thinks and acts as though everything is up to you, or completely out of control, and prays desperately, if at all. So he's saying worry is is a symptom of self-sufficiency or panic, and actually it really doesn't typically drive us to prayer. And most of us know what that's like. Most of us have been there. Maybe some of us are there. Perhaps you've admitted to someone that you're worried about something, and they've looked at you with deep concern and said, you just need to trust God. And you stand there in awkward silence for a while and you go, yes, I do. Thank you. And then you walk off feeling a lot worse than you did before you spoke to them because you already knew that. It wasn't that you thought, what on earth should I do about worry? Oh, trust God. Okay. That's an idea. Novel. I'll try that one. You knew that. Your problem was that you're not. And, and guys have an unfortunate tendency to dismiss worry um, sometimes. We worry ourselves, but if our wives express to us that they're worried about something, our fix is, don't worry about that. It'll be fine. 
Typically, the reason our wives are worrying is because something is in the process of going wrong. They can see it going wrong, and they can see the five steps that we are inevitably on that will lead to things becoming a lot worse than they already are. Uh, and, and we have a, a sad tendency sometimes to pretend like everything is fine. What we mean is, I've seen the worst-case scenario. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like being late for something very important. If we don't hurry up, we'll be late. And we think... Late, yeah. And you say, don't worry. So the other solution is either trust God or just don't worry. Why? Yeah, I just don't. Neither of which really work. So what we're aiming for is this. Not a lack of care, but a huge amount of care. So some, again, quoting Timothy Lane, what we're looking for is someone who can seem very calm and laid back, but in fact they are deeply engaged with and invested in others' lives and situations. They care deeply and passionately, and they are taking their worries to God and depending on Him as they face life's challenges. Because the other potential solution to worry is to actually not care about anything. And some people appear to not worry, whereas in fact, in fact they just don't care. If you care little enough, about enough, you look really chilled and laid back, and people envy you. That's, that's not the biblical solution. That's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to care a lot. He wants us to care enough that we'll be tempted to worry about a whole bunch of things and then to not worry about it. What were the Philippians worried about? So Paul, Paul doesn't come at this out of nowhere. He doesn't say to them, oh, by the way, I just thought of something. Don't be anxious. He, he's, he's seen this coming for a while. And if you, if you read the rest of Philippians, it opens up with a massive reason for worry because, of course, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And, and Paul wasn't some pretty decent preacher guy. He might not have been a very good preacher at all, but he was the guy taking the gospel out into Europe. He was the guy reaching the Gentiles with the gospel. He was the guy that planted the Philippian church uh, that linked with Epaphroditus that, that the Philippians looked to as really the founder and the most important person in their lives as a Christian. And so when he went to prison, their big concern was, Ah, is, is everything falling apart now? Does everything that you seem to be promising us really not count anymore? Is it all gone horribly wrong? And so if you look in chapter 1, Paul reassures them that, by the way, my being in prison, so far from defeating the gospel, is actually helping to spread the gospel because I'm telling everyone here the gospel and they're taking it out, the guards are taking it out, everyone else is taking it out, and other people, when they hear I'm in prison, they think, well, we better step up then. If Paul's in prison, we've got to get out there. So don't worry, because you can see the good things that are happening because of this, but, but there's still that lingering sense of, but it's Paul, and he's in prison. What do we do? They were worried about the health of their, their guy Epaphroditus, chapter 2, verse 26. They were worried in chapter 3 about whether they had done enough to be right with God. These were people who were anxious about, am I good enough for God to like me? They were afraid, chapter 3, verse 13, that their past sins might catch up to them. There are many people around us living in fear that past sins are going to catch up, that somehow God didn't know about that when we repented, maybe, or, or God's still kind of holding something back on that one. What are you worried about? Or what are you prone to worry about? What are the kind of things that make you get knotted up? What are the kind of things that make you not sleep? or sleep for a shorter period of time, or get up at four, unbright-eyed and unbushy-tailed, but completely awake. What is it that concerns you? Maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships, 
Maybe it's the happiness or the souls of those you love. Maybe it's how you look. Maybe it's how you'll get a job or keep a job or get out of the job you've got. Maybe it's finding a spouse. Maybe it's coping with the spouse that you found. Maybe it's what people think of you. This starts to worry people from about the age of three and gets worse. So from about the age of three, about the time we realize that we are, in fact, something other people refer to as human, that's when we start being conscious of others. Uh, And some people are blissfully unconcerned about what others think of them, and some people are crushed by what others think of them or what they think others think of them. We might be worried or anxious about our children's lives, the choices they're making, the friends they keep. Maybe we're worried about whether whether we are good enough for God or whether we have made the right decision. What are you worried about? And as we think briefly about uh, some things from these seven verses, think about these things that Paul is saying in the light of what you are worried about this morning or what you are prone to worry about. We'll be looking briefly at four different things. First of all, receiving God's peace. We'll be thinking about rejoicing. We'll be thinking about do not be anxious about anything. And then we'll be considering think and do what is good. So first of all, receiving God's peace, looking at verses 7 and 9, which tell us about receiving God's peace. The first thing we need to understand is that when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to Christians. So the bulk of Paul's life, uh, the bulk of Paul's mission is, is spent reaching people who don't know the gospel with the gospel. It's about bringing people into the kingdom. He was not a pastor. He was not... He was not staying in certain places for several years, pastoring people, discipling them. The letters we have are the exceptions to that rule, that he's out there in the marketplaces and in town squares and in people's homes, inviting them, challenging them, commanding them to repent and receive the word. But this here is written to Christians. So when Paul talks about the possibility of receiving God's peace into our lives, he is talking to Christians important not to just jump over that point when we look at the text and say, great, we get to have God's peace. Because there's one thing that we have to have before we get peace from God, and that's peace with God. Because if we have not repented, if we have not asked God to forgive our sins, if we have not said to him, I am a sinner, I don't deserve forgiveness from you, but please give it to me anyway. Please help me to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross to save me from my sins. If we have not done that, then the rest of this passage is not for us. We need to be made right with God before we can receive His peace. God's peace is not something that He drops from a sky and if you happen to be standing under it, you're good to go for a couple of hours until you worry the next time. We need to be right with God. And if you are, if you are sitting here this morning and you know that you have not repented, if you are sitting here this morning and you know that that first peace, that most crucial peace about peace isn't true of you, then now is the time to go to God and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please take my guilt. Please nail it to the cross. And please make me one of yours. And then, again, looking in verses 7 and 9, once we are God's children... There is stuff we have to do. It says, Do not be anxious about everything, about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests of God present your request to God. And the peace of God follows that. We have the same thing in verse nine, which we'll think about in more detail in a, in a few minutes. But he says these are the things you need to be thinking about, and following that is the peace of God. So again, 
Peace doesn't come on a parachute. It's not dropped from a mosquito spray plane. It, it's something that comes out of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the wonderful thing about God's peace, about receiving God's peace, is that it transcends all understanding. Again, verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. That is to say, it goes above, it sits on top of, it is beyond. So our understanding is that certain things are inevitable worry producers. Things like a bad report from the doctor or no report from the doctor or, or a hopeless dead-end job or our inability to find the kind of relationship that we want or just general depression or many things that can happen to you. There are so many things that can happen to you where everyone around you will say there's all the best but yeah, that's, that's not looking good. But, but, but trust God. <gasps> okay, I'll, I'll trust him. But, but the point is that peace is, is a gift after, that follows our rejoicing, that follows our dwelling in our minds on what is right. And then the gift of God of that peace transcends all understanding. God doesn't say to you, your worries are stupid. Why are you worrying? Are you simple? Buck up. Snap out of it. Trust me. It's the kind of thing we think and say to each other, but God doesn't say that to us. Because he, the peace that he gives goes beyond understanding because he understands why we worry. Why? Because he's come to earth and lived a life for 33 years where people wouldn't accept who he was and people were running away from him and rebelling against him. And when he loved his people, do you not think that Christ was tempted to worry? about his people, the Jews? Do you not think that, that the temptation was almost overwhelming that he would think, but Father, they look so lost. How can I not worry about these people? So the, the peace from his Father would have to transcend understanding, would have to go beyond what can be predicted, would have to go beyond what we can see coming. It defies human logic. And lastly, about receiving God's, uh, receiving God's peace, is we didn't just get peace as if that's an end in itself, but we need God's peace to guard our hearts. Because what happens when we don't have peace? What happens when we, when we live in worry is that we lose touch with God. We lose hope in God. Because when we, when we worry about things, what we are saying, we would never perhaps say it out loud, though we might, but what we are really saying when we live in worry is, God, you either don't love me enough or you don't care enough or you're just not good enough. Or maybe I'm not good enough. Or maybe I'm not working hard enough. Because I've really got to fix this myself. And it's not, a, it's not about you, it's about me. Any one of those things which understandably come to all of us. Which inevitably come to us from time to time. Any of those things take us away from God. And that's not a good place. We don't get, we don't get happier by living in worry. We don't think, well, I could, I could trust God, which everyone keeps telling me to do and I can't, but I prefer worry because worry is great. We hate it. We'd love to trust God, but it makes no sense to us because the gap between our self-sufficiency and trusting in God looks enormous. Sure, I'll jump on that balcony where trust in God sits. Why not? 
I'm sitting here in self-sufficiency and worry and concern, but I'll just jump there now. I can't do that. I can't just magic up, trust in God from nowhere. But God's peace will guard us from that worry. It will protect us from all of those things that take us away from God. And ultimately, as God's people, he has promised through, Paul's, through his word, when Paul writes to the Romans, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, if nothing can separate me from the love of God, then, mu- then, then peace must be real. If I cannot actually be, as a child of God, away from his love, then when God says that I can have his peace, maybe he means it. Maybe he actually means I can have peace and not just on Thursdays or when I feel good or when people are nice to me or when the mirror is not being mean to me or when work is easier or when I've got no worries about anyone in my family being sick. Maybe God's peace, that thing that transcends all understanding, is available for me at all times. That's the glory of it. It's not a pill. It's not a spray that we get sometimes and then wears off. It's something we have access to because as God's children, we are in his love all of the time. It keeps us from losing faith in God. It keeps us from despair. It keeps us from losing hope. It is not the same as optimism. Because optimism says, I've found something. I found a mark on my skin or, or, or something about me that, that makes me think that I'm sick with whatever it is. But as long as I think I'm not sick, then I feel okay. Maybe I'm worried about my finances, but I think as long as I can balance my account, then I will have peace. The, the, the peace of God is the peace that says, whatever the doctor's result Whatever the bank ends up telling you, or that you learn, or you understand finally from looking at it properly, whatever happens, you will still have peace. Why? Because you are in God's love. Not because stuff went better, though we pray that it will. But regardless. So Paul tells us to rejoice. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is, this is the thing that he says to do. That will lead to the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Again, Paul doesn't sit there. God isn't sitting there saying, just trust me. Come on. No, he's saying the alternative to worry, the alternative to living in worry and leading to despair isn't just buck it up. It's rejoice deliberately, repeatedly, constantly. It's the theme of the whole letter of Philippians. That despite the situation that Paul is in, despite their circumstances, that they would rejoice. Rejoice that the gospel is preached, chapter 1, verse 18. Rejoice that Paul will make it through his suffering with God in the following verse. Rejoicing even at Paul's life being used up for God. At him spending his life. At it being brought to a premature close because of his work for God. Rejoicing in that, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Rejoice in the Lord always. And that provides, all that theme of rejoicing throughout the whole letter then provides the backdrop for Paul's solution to worry. Paul's solution to worry is not don't worry. Yet, 
First, it's rejoice. Then he says, do not be anxious. There's no point jumping straight into the do not be anxious because we don't know why we shouldn't be anxious. He starts off by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. And when we, when we are worried about things, when we are concerned about things, what do we do? We pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what if I'm worried about my finances? Thanksgiving for Christ. Thanksgiving for an eternal life with God. Thanksgiving that we are never separated from God's love, no matter what. Now take him. Now take your concerns to him. Rejoice that your life is secure in God. Rejoice that you can never be taken away from him. Now take him your concerns. Rejoice that he is sovereign over your life. Rejoice that he is alive today. Rejoice that you have God living within you. Now take him your concerns. Because the reason we worry is we've lost touch with all that there is to rejoice about. Rejoice in God. Thank God. Then don't be anxious about anything, he says. It's not the same. Again, it's not, we're not talking about optimism. We're not talking about trying to think that the situation we're worried about might get better. We're looking beyond all that. We're looking to the peace that transcends all that. We're looking to what God is, what he has done for us, who he is. He follows that up in verse 5 by saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. Because again, this is part of our rejoicing in God. Because when we don't rejoice, when we are worried sick about things, the gentleness goes, amongst other things. It's very hard to be gentle when we are worried sick. We are so busy trying to fix or thinking nothing can be fixed and thinking that everything is lost that the gentleness goes. And when the gentleness goes, people do not see the gospel in us. But when people see us in the midst of situations that are clearly worrisome, rejoicing in God and maintaining gentleness, that is when they see Christ in us. And when people see Christ in us, they go to Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, he then says in verse 6. It's not a, a coincidence that he comes to this after the command to rejoice. But note that it is a command. He doesn't suggest, by the way, here's an idea. Try not being anxious. Do not be anxious. On the one hand, it's off-putting. It's a command. You think, well, I'm worrying. And now you're telling me I'm sinning by worrying? Great. Thanks a lot. Back up. He's just said rejoice. Because the Lord is near. He said, be gentle. He said, take everything with God in thanksgiving. Understand God first. Then, don't be anxious about anything, he says. Now, this doesn't mean we can switch it off. You, if you're sitting here worrying this morning, Paul's not saying, okay, so on mark of three, stop worrying. One, two, three. You're good? Go home now? No, we can't switch this off. This is something that's in here. You woke up with worry here this morning. You, will, you might wake up with it some other time around here, or it might be here, or it might be giving you a frontal lobe headache, or a back lobe headache, or, or whatever kind of headache it's giving you. But this isn't something that gets switched off. This is something that we work on every single day. Like our attitude of repentance to God. We repent to God as we come to Him for the first time, as we are made right with Him, and yet our attitude needs to be repentance every day. So don't sit there going, oh no, he really did say don't be anxious, but oh no, I'm anxious. Oh no, I'm anxious again. It's not, a, it's not a keep off the grass kind of thing, and if you tread on the grass off and off, God says forget it, you're not having peace. 
replace your anxiety with rejoicing. Don't just sit and clench and try not to be anxious. Replace it with something. Just as in the parable that Jesus told about when you cast out a devil and there's nothing left there, then the devil just brings all of his mates and comes back again ten times as strong. The same is true about worry. If you just sit and clench and try not to worry, it'll work for several minutes. And you might even get to sleep. And then it'll come back again. So we replace it. Replace worry with rejoicing. And finally, think and do what is good. Furthermore, is, it, is a, uh, perhaps a better word. It's the word that Tyndale uses when he translated uh, verse 8. Furthermore, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable. Or to put it another way, whatever is false, whatever is dishonest, whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, whatever is unacceptable and unpleasant, whatever is unworthy of respect, if anything is bad or worthless, why would you think about that? Why would you do that to yourself? When you are trying to not worry, why would you fill yourself with what is bad, with what is dishonest, with what is impure? Fill your mind with what is good and right and just. And again, the world fills us naturally. None of it's good. Almost none of it's good. We have to look for the good stuff to fill ourselves with. We can't sit back and wait to be filled with good stuff. It doesn't work. Ask God to help you to guard your heart and your mind and your eyes and your ears and your hands so that you fill yourself with what is good. And then God's peace will be with you. Because as you fill yourself with what honors God, as you fill yourself with what brings joy and honor and glory to Him, He will give you His peace, a peace that you do not deserve, a peace that you cannot earn. But just as we, we need to actually repent, we need to do something, and God will, will, will freely give us the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, so we must fill ourselves with what is right. We must rejoice, and then God gives us the gift that we do not deserve of complete peace. Perhaps you're thinking that I'm... I'm going to say I. I don't mean I. Perhaps you're thinking that you are too young to worry. I'm plenty old enough to worry. Perhaps you are thinking, some of you, that you are too young to worry because you're not grown up yet, thinking it'll work itself out. Now is the time to learn how to cope when it, times are difficult. Perhaps you're just having a good year, week, day, month. You're thinking, I'm fine. I don't need to hear this. You need to hear this now because when you are in the middle of worrying is when it's almost impossible to learn anything. Understand now what you need to be doing now so that when worrying things happen, you are rejoicing because you already knew that you had to be rejoicing constantly, thanking God constantly, filling yourself with good things constantly. So when the bad stuff hits, you will know God's peace. He will pour his peace out on you. Think again about what you said uh, to yourself earlier that you were worried about. And as I close, I want to read a hymn to you. Think about what you are worrying about or what you are prone to worry about, what you are scared you might be worrying about. And listen to the words of this hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find comfort there. Blessed Savior, you have promised you will all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to you in earnest prayer. Soon in glory bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of peace. We thank you that if we have life with you, that peace is something that we can all have. We do not need to live in worry, however prone we are to worry. And some of us, Lord, are so much more prone to this than others. Lord, we pray that you would grant us the peace that we need, that our hearts may be guarded. Help us not to just try hard not to worry, but help us to rejoice in you. Help us to thank you. Help us to think about you, to fill ourselves full of good influence and good things, good books, good, good songs, good company good people, everything, Lord, that would help remind us about you, how wonderful you are and the wonderful things that you have done for us. Bless us now, we pray, as we continue to worship and thank and adore you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.